0: Romans chapter 6 and commencing at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of those things result in death but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to god the benefit reaps the benefit you reap leads to holiness And the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May God bless that reading to us this morning.
1: Our Lord God, we ask that you would work in us now by your spirit. Change us, grow us, help us see who we are in Christ uh, Lord, don't let us leave this place the same people that we came. Would you continue to transform us to be more and more the people you would have us be? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Gavin's already introduced the, the question that Paul asks, should we go on sinning? Uh, that's the question that Paul spent all of Romans 6 answering. And you might wonder, like, how could he possibly need a whole chapter? I mean, any idiot could probably guess the answer is going to be, no, you shouldn't go on sinning. But the real question is, why? Why is it that a Christian should not go on sinning? If it is true that Christians are justified, counted right with God by grace if no amount of good works can qualify you for eternal life, if no amount of sin can disqualify you from receiving eternal life, if salvation is completely and only contingent upon the free gift of God, well, what reason is there for Christians to stop sinning? Now, it's a really important question And that's because there is a very real danger for us as Christians that we would have the same reaction to sin as a person who hasn't showered in a few days has to their own body odour. You you become desensitised. You don't notice it anymore. And so I want to ask you this morning as we begin, uh, did you notice your sin this past week? Think back for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but think back. How many times this week would you say that you were consciously aware of your own sin? Where you actually recognize your anger or your greed or your lust or your pride as sin, How many times this week were you actually aware of temptations you were experiencing? You see, friends, the danger for us who have received the gospel of grace is that we can very easily forget about sin, ignore sin, or implicitly think that sin doesn't really matter. But friends, Romans 6 is here to show us that just how out of place sin is in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's here to remind us who we now are in light of Jesus. And it's here to show us how the gospel of grace gives us the resources and the motivation to get rid of sin in our lives. Should we go on sinning? No way. Let's see why. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember that Paul's already asked this question. He's already answered this question. He's answered it once. Uh, in verse 1, Paul asked, shall we go on sinning so that God can keep showing grace? And he answered by saying, no way. And the reason that the Christian has, should not go on sinning is that the Christian has been united to Jesus. Jesus just as a bride and a groom are united to become one through marriage, we are reminded by our baptism that we are united to Jesus. We are in Christ. That's the language that Paul loves to use. We are united to Jesus. We are one. And what that means is that when Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin, we did too. And just as Jesus rose again to live a new life for the glory of God, we can too. And so the first reason Paul says that we should not go on sinning is because you are united with the one who has done away with sin. You're with him now. If you missed last week, go back and listen to the sermon online. Uh, But now today... In verse 15, Paul returns to that very same question, or a very similar question. It is slightly different. But he asks, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And again, he answers in the strongest way possible, by no means. But then Paul gives us a different reason. He answers the question from a different perspective this time. Previously, you said you should not go on sinning because you're united with Jesus. This time, he says, the reason that Christians should not go on sinning is because Christians are slaves. In fact, Paul begins in verse 16 by saying that everyone is a slave. Have a look, verse 16. Don't you know... That when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Everyone is a slave. The only difference between anyone is whether you are a slave of sin or a slave to obedience. A slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? A slave to sin or a slave to God? Now that sounds really strange to people like us because we live in a culture that idolizes freedom. I read a newspaper article recently where workers were expressing outrage that their bosses were making them come back to the office, telling them they could no longer work from home friends the simple fact that a boss telling their employees that they have to come to work to do work the fact that that is newsworthy tells you how much we care about freedom in our culture it is simply unthinkable that anyone could tell me what to do that we live in a time where people want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. We believe that we are free. And then the Apostle Paul comes along in Romans 6 and says, actually, no, you're not free. Because every single man, woman and child is a slave. We are slaves to what we obey. Now, by default, that means we are slaves to sin. That is how we all start out. Which means sin is not just something that you do or could choose not to do, that sin is something that controls you, that sin is something that you serve. We see this play out at the level of our desires. Now, whatever it is that you long for, whatever it is that you seek in life as your highest good whatever it is that you feel that you cannot live without, that you need to make you happy, that thing becomes your master. You're enslaved to it. Take, for example, the man who, who lives for money. He devotes himself to the pursuit of wealth. He works long hours so that he can get the promotion, so that he can get the higher pay packet. He stays up at night uh, researching new investments and ways to make more. He begins to resent commitments, family, things that get in the way of him making more money. He's tempted to compromise. He's tempted by gambling. He's tempted by lies and fraud. He's controlled By his pursuit of money, he's enslaved. Well, friends, take the the woman that craves the approval of others. And she spends hours every morning getting ready just so that she can get that compliment on her appearance or on her clothes. She says yes to things that she shouldn't say yes to because she loves the respect and the praise that it earns her. She gossips and slanders because it makes her fit in. She's controlled by that desire for approval. She's a slave. Now, friends, it doesn't matter what it is. They might not be the things that you were enslaved to. But anything that we we idolize, anything that we feel that we need... George Whitfield says that if there is anything in your life that you need to be happy, it will become a slave master that will strangle you, that will drive you into the ground, that will hang you by the neck until dead. Friends, sin is slavery. And I'm sure many of you can look back at your life before you were a Christian and you can see the thing that you were enslaved to. It's clear to you now. Sin is slavery. And so naturally, we uh, expect Paul to say, well then, if sin is slavery, well then Christians, they're free. But that's not what he says. He says instead that Christians too are slaves. Slaves of a different kind. He says we too are controlled. that We too offer ourselves in service. But the thing that controls the Christian is obedience, righteousness. Now, to understand more of what it means to be a slave of righteousness, we need to see the next thing, which is how it is that we become slaves. Now, to become a slave of sin, well, you don't need to do anything. We're slaves to sin at birth. Like the elephants at the zoo, we are born in captivity, but to become a slave to righteousness, well, you need to be born again, which means that becoming a Christian is not simply a matter of making a decision to follow Jesus. Now, making a decision to follow jesus is, is part of that. But becoming a Christian is is not just you deciding something. Becoming a Christian is a categorical change in your allegiance. You are transferred from one slave master to a new one. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul's point here is that at conversion, you changed owners. You were transferred. You used to serve sin as your master, but now you have a, a new master. Something new to offer yourself to rather than serving sin. You now serve Righteousness, you serve obedience, you serve God. Now, Paul makes uh, four important points here about uh, what it means to be converted. He shows us just in one sentence in verse 17, uh, four really important points. Firstly, he shows us that conversion is objective. Oh, sorry, I went too far. Uh, by objective, what I mean is that uh, Conversion only happens when we accept and believe a a certain set of truths. Christians are people who have been given over to a pattern of teaching. Now, this is really important in our day and age because the pursuit of freedom in our culture has gone so far that many of people in our time believe that they can define truth for themselves. What's true for you doesn't need to be true for me. We define truth ourselves, but Paul won't allow that. He says, no, there is a pattern of teaching. There is God's truth, and when you are converted, you accept God's truth, where his facts are impressed upon you, not where you twist the facts to suit yourself. Conversion is objective. But secondly, he tells us that conversion is also subjective. It is something that we, I guess, feel, something that we experience. That Christians are those who have come to obey from the heart, says Paul in verse 17. Which means that at conversion, you're not just intellectually persuaded. It's not just that someone gives you the facts and you go, Oh, yes, they are true. I'm converted. No, that's not how it works. We actually are drawn to it, attracted to it. We have a new desire to live out our whole lives in light of this body of knowledge. The conversion comes from the heart. Now you see, conversion is both objective and subjective. And so if someone accepts a set of truths but feels no desire or affection for God. Or or on the flip side, if someone has this profound emotional experience, but does not believe the truth of God's teaching, they're not converted. They're still slaves to sin. Conversion is both objective and subjective, which is why we can sing songs that are objective. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect place. It is objective truth. And yet, it's why we can also sing songs like, As the Deer, My Heart Longs for You, God. It is objective and subjective. Thirdly, Paul shows us that conversion is an act of obedience. You changed masters when you came to obey the pattern of teaching. You see, friends, at the heart of the gospel is the obedience that comes from faith. Not obedience to earn your salvation, but obedience to please the one who saved you. And finally, Paul shows us that While conversion is something that we choose to do, it's only possible because God first chose us. Conversion is an act of God. And so Paul rightly gives credit where credit is due. He says, thanks be to God that you came to obey. It is his doing in us. Everyone is a slave. Either you are a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. You become a slave to sin by birth. You become a slave to righteousness by new birth at conversion where you change masters. But the next thing that we need to see about these two kinds of slavery is where they end, where they lead. And funnily enough, Paul says that both these kinds of slavery lead to a sort of freedom. <laughs> Have a look at verse 20. Paul says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free. You were free from the control of righteousness, which is sort of a strange kind of freedom. You were completely free to do everything wrong, to do everything badly, <laughs> to live A terrible life. It's a strange kind of freedom. It's like saying that a prisoner is perfectly free to enjoy all that their damp, cold, dark, urine-soaked cell has to offer. They're free. But it's not freedom, isn't it? Paul says freedom from righteousness leads to ever-increasing wickedness. He says freedom from righteousness leads to shame. And ultimately, he says, freedom from righteousness leads to death. In verse 23, Paul says those famous words, the wages of sin is death. And as Tim Keller points out, sin is a master who always pays on time and in full. The wages of sin is death. Now, on the flip side, slavery to righteousness, slavery to God is is freedom from sin. It leads to holiness. It makes us more and more like the people that we were set apart to be. People who will inherit God's gift of eternal life. And so the the question that kind of gets presented to us is, what kind of slave are you? (laughs) You are a slave. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to God? Now, friends, if you're here this morning and you're someone who doesn't yet follow the Lord Jesus, first of all, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here with us and you are welcome here. But this morning, it's my hope for you that you will see that you are enslaved to sin. And that that is not us pronouncing judgment on you. Uh, We were too. Now, you might not notice that. I don't think many non-Christians noticed how enslaved they were until they become Christians. And so you might be here thinking, I'm not a slave. I'm free. I get to do whatever I want. It's these Christians here that are the slaves that they have to give. They have to serve. They have to be nice to people who are horrible to them. They're the ones who are enslaved. But friends, if that's you, please understand. You're not free. The only freedom you have is freedom from all that God says is good and right. That's not freedom at all. The classic illustration is of the goldfish in a bowl. Is the goldfish free You can imagine the goldfish thinking that he's not free, he's imprisoned, he's trapped, he's stuck in a glass bowl, he's got nowhere to go. But of course, what would happen if the goldfish were to throw off the shackles and leap to freedom? It would flop around on the ground and eventually die. In the bowl, I mean, that bowl doesn't look particularly lovely, but in the bowl the goldfish has everything it needs it has water it has oxygen it has food outside of the bowl it has nothing well friends we're like the goldfish and many people in our world today and sometimes even christians we we think that we're trapped by god we long to escape god's oppressive restrictive commands They believe that life would be better without God's pattern, restrictive pattern for marriage or for sex. They think that life is better when you get even when someone wrongs you rather than forgiving. They they believe that freedom is found in doing what they want when they want. And so they leap out of the bowl. They fly to freedom. They're out there right now. They think they are free. But friends, they're flopping around on the ground waiting to die. That's not freedom. It's death. Now, Christians in the room, I bet there's been times in your life where you've longed for the freedom that you see your non-Christian friends have. Uh, Perhaps even this morning as as you drove to church and you saw the cars flying by going to the beach and and you, you longed for that sort of freedom. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Perhaps there's been times where you've watched as your friends spend their money however they want, but you have to give. I'm sure there's been times where you've watched as your friends go about their lives totally unattached totally uncommitted, totally free. And here you are spending your weekends preparing a kids' church lesson or spending your nights cooking meals for those who are struggling. And you look out at all your friends enjoying their freedom and you you think for a moment, oh, that would be nice. That freedom looks good. Friends, don't be fooled. Freedom is not found in doing whatever you want. That's slavery. True freedom is found in obedience to God. His commands are good. Now, yes, obeying God is a kind of slavery in that it demands our full allegiance. Allegiance. It's slavery in that it controls every aspect of our lives. There is no part of me, there is no part of you that does not belong to God and that we don't offer to God in worship. It is slavery to belong to God, but friends, it is slavery of the best kind. Friends, it's in slavery to God that we become what we were truly meant to become, where we live life and life to the full. And so, friends, if you're a Christian, should you go on sinning? No way. You've offered yourself fully to God. And so my encouragement for you today is to keep offering yourself fully to God. Offer yourselves, your bodies, your lives as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Because friends, you've been set free from sin. Let's use that freedom to serve and to please our heavenly master. Let me pray. Now, Lord God, we thank you we praise you that we have been set free from sin. And we thank you that at baptism we were united to Jesus, made one with him, so that we could die to sin and live a new life for you. And we thank you that at our conversion, at our experience of start, beginning to follow you, we were transferred in ownership. We became yours. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us see how slavery to you is the best kind of slavery. It is a life-giving slavery. Lord, would you help each and every one of us to offer ourselves fully to you? Keep us from listening to that that niggling voice that makes us think that perhaps life would be better, that life would be more enjoyable without you. Help us see that your commands are good, that your way is life-giving. Convict us deep within our hearts so that we may long to live for you every day. That we may strive to put away sin. That we may become more and more the holy people that you have called us. And Lord, we pray this because it is good for us. We pray this because this is the life that you have given to us so graciously. And we pray this because it
0: brings glory to your name. Amen.